what we're going to see today is, is the continuation of what we've been talking about, and that is how we can determine truth. Peter calls it in his book, knowledge, uh, in, in a world that makes it very difficult to, to know what truth is. And uh, I think we can all attest to the fact that when life is difficult, it becomes even more difficult to understand what truth is. When we have sick loved ones, all of a sudden how we should respond and what we should do with life becomes more difficult, right? Uh, when we know people who are doing dumb things, it, it becomes more difficult for us to focus on doing what's right and even figuring out what is right. And so today I just want to remind you of that, that, that this passage of Scripture, although it's, uh, it's not about at all, you know, our hard times, it speaks to those things because it, it shows us how to have vision in a dimly lit world. It shows us how to know truth, and that can be even more difficult when we deal with with hard circumstances. Um, you know, what we've seen so far is this. Um, if we want to know truth and we want to know knowledge, if, and that really means, you know, if we want to know uh, what is right, what is wrong, uh, what is real, what is not real, uh, what is wise, what is not wise, if we want to know those types of things, then the first step is to know Jesus. That's what Peter has told us. And when we come to a relationship with Jesus, we begin to have the ability to know what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is not, what really is knowledge and what is not. And then Peter told us that, that the next way that we can begin to know what knowledge is, is is through the eyewitness testimony of him and the other apostles. And we can choose to believe lots of other stuff in this world, or we can say, hey, those guys hung out with Jesus, and I already believe in Jesus. That was the first step of knowledge. And so I'm going to believe what these guys say, including Peter himself, and not what, what the rest of the world says if it's contradictory. And then last week we talked about the Word of God, the prophetic message, as Peter calls it, Old Testament and New Testament, and how it is really our foundation for truth. It is, uh, it is another way that we can know what is real, what is not real, what is knowledge, what is not knowledge. Now, Peter has just said that, and Peter recognizes that because he has just said that the Word of God, the Bible, comes from God, it is going to be easy for people to say, hey, well, I'm a prophet too. He said the prophetic messages were from God. People spoke as God led them. And so now he knows that he's opened himself up for people to go along and go, I'm a prophet, so you need to listen to whatever I say. And so Peter, being a Bible writer and a, and a pretty smart guy as he was led by the Holy Spirit, uh, says, I need to speak against this. I need to help people realize uh, that there are true and false prophets. And so in verse 1, he says this, But there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. So Peter has said that the Bible is written by guys who were led by the Holy Spirit, and so that's how we can know it's true, because it's the very Word of God spoken to us. But now he wants us to know some things about what makes a true and false prophet. And so in this passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 2 mainly, but then chapter 3, verses 3 and seven, three through 7, and, and verses 10 through 12, Peter really is helping us to identify what a true teacher is and what a false teacher is, so that we can know who to listen to. Now, he says at the very end of verse 1, just as there will be false teachers among you, and he, he's talking to these people, you know, that he's writing to in the churches at that time, uh, but I think that, that no more then than now is this true. Today, we live in a world 
filled with false teachers. And the scary thing is, the, the, uh, the, the thing that, that should alarm us even greater, is that the internet and the communication devices that we have has made it so that anybody who wants to can, can propagate their false teachings and, and sell them to a whole bunch of people. And so currently we live in this world that we're calling a dimly lit world, but part of what makes it dimly lit is that there are teachers out there teaching lots of things that go against what we should believe. And as me and Steve Brace were talking about before the service, what makes them effective is they oftentimes wrap up those things with kernels of truth so that we don't know if we should believe them or we should not believe them. And so today as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to see some broad strokes on how we can begin to know if we should believe the teachings of a person or not. Now, a couple of things that we need to know before we look at that in, in the rest of the passage. Uh, first of all, uh, these things are broad strokes. It doesn't mean that everybody who falls into these categories is a false teacher. You know, Just because somebody is greedy doesn't make them a false teacher, as we'll see. Just because somebody has a proclivity to sexual sin, it doesn't mean that they're a false teacher. But if somebody does have those things in their lives, then we should probably start saying, are they really teaching me the truth? And so what we're going to see is not a step-by-step, -step, this is how you identify a false prophet or a false teacher, but hey, you need to look for these things if you're going to decipher what is true and what is not true when people start teaching you. And so with that in mind, uh, let's look at what he says to us. Uh, starting in verse 2, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will expo exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been asleep. Now, right from the beginning, he starts to identify some, some attributes of, of a false teacher. And the first here is, is that they are secretive. Now, there are people who are, are just heretics who, who come out and, and say, hey, you know, Jesus doesn't exist or something like that. And, and they are false teachers. But oftentimes, false teachers fall into a different category where they say things that kind of sound true. They kind of sound like they might be right. Let me give you an example that I've heard in the recent uh, history of my life. Something goes like this. You're in a marriage, and you don't like the marriage that you're in. And God wants you to be happy, okay? And so we have two truths so far. And so therefore, divorce is okay. And so there's two truths and a lie, right, in that, and I hope we can recognize that. But, but secretly, they're introducing something that could sound right if you don't know how to identify a false teacher. Yes, I don't like my marriage. Yes, God wants me to be happy. Yes, I can get a divorce. That is what false teachers do. They secretly introduce their teachings. And so we need to not just say, I'm always going to know when a false teaching comes along. We need to be able to look and say, man, I, I have to figure out who these false teachers are because it might sound like what they're saying is true. And, and I, might, I might just, if I'm not careful, start to follow what they're going to say. Now, here's one of the big giveaways that, that Peter identifies with the false teachers. This is still in, at the end of verse 1, I'm sorry. He says, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. 
And so uh, red flag number one for false teachers is that they deny the sovereign Lord. They deny Jesus and they deny that Jesus is the Lord of the universe. Now, for the people that are talking, that Peter is talking to, we know that one of the things they're saying to deny Jesus is that Jesus is not coming back. And so they're telling people, Christians, they're saying, hey, look, Jesus is not coming back. He said he was going to come back quickly. He hasn't. So therefore, he must not be coming back. Two truths and a lie. Once again, right? He he said he was coming back quickly. He hasn't come back. Both true. And so therefore, he must not be coming back. Not true. So they're telling the people this. And because of this, they're saying, hey, if Jesus hasn't come back and he's not coming back, then it's no big deal how you live your lives because you're not going to have to face judgment someday. And so they're, they're saying, look, because Jesus is not here, don't worry about making him the God of your life. Don't worry about how you live. Don't worry about following the commands that he has given you, given you, because you aren't going to have to stand in front of him and face judgment because we already know that he's not coming back. And so they're denying these people, quite specifically, the lordship of Jesus, the sovereignty of Jesus, the fact that Jesus will judge the world and and is ruler over all of the world. And so the first red flag for us in seeing a false teacher, a false prophet, is if somebody says that Jesus is not in control, that Jesus doesn't have ultimate authority, that Jesus is not all-powerful, then we need to say, well, I'm not going to listen to the things that you say. And that's one of the biggest things that that Peter is going to teach us in this passage. If somebody denies Jesus, then they are not teaching what is true, and they need not be listened to. In fact, they should not be listened to. He says that this will bring swift destruction on them, that they will bring swift destruction on themselves. Now, we're going to come back to this topic at the end of this sermon, but... This is really the main point of this passage of Scripture. Throughout the whole chapter 2 and into chapter 3, Peter consistently tells us, look, these people are destined for destruction. You see it at the end of uh, verse 3 there. It says that their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And that means simply that just because God has not punished them yet, it doesn't mean that their punishment is not going to happen. It's there. And then he says it is not sleeping. And that means that it is surely going to happen, that, that someday it's going to come. And so you need not worry about whether that's happening. And so when we look at, at false teachers, what Peter is going to try to teach us in this passage of Scripture through his language, which is vivid and straightforward, these people will be punished eternally. He, he is teaching us this. We don't want to follow false teachers because false teachers are headed for destruction. Right? We want to follow Jesus because Jesus sits in glory and eternal perfection. And that's where we want to end up. I think we can all agree on that. We don't want to follow false teachers because they are going to end up destroyed. And it's not good to follow somebody who is going to end up destroyed, right? Your parents always said to you, if somebody else was going to jump off a bridge, would you do it too, right? You've heard that. You've said it, I'm sure. And the answer, hopefully, even though I denied this as a kid, is yes or no, I would not. I'm sorry, not yes. I would. You know, when your dad has you in that moment and he says that, it's like, yes, I would. I'm not sure why, but I would, right? But But we all know we wouldn't. And so Peter is showing us that their their destruction is coming and, and he vividly describes it for us in this passage of Scripture. And what he is saying is this, don't follow the guys that are destined for destruction. He goes on and he says, many will follow their depraved conduct. And he gives us really one of the first attributes and he'll continue to give this to us. And that is that they are given to sin. That they are not doing the things that we know as Christians they should be doing. Now, here's the important thing that you need to remember. 
as we look at this passage of Scripture, it's easy for a world that doesn't believe in Jesus to say, well, I don't agree with these things because what you call depraved conduct, what you call sin, I don't consider sin. And they're right, and that's fine for them. But for us who are Christians, we need to put the first three things that we've seen uh, into this passage of Scripture. If we believe in Jesus, then automatically the Holy Spirit has come into us and we begin to understand what is right and wrong. Even if we don't have the Bible, we have this conscience within us through the Holy Spirit that says, hey, I probably shouldn't be doing this. Right? And you've been there before. You may not be able to point to a verse. You may not be able to say, I, I know from this scripture that I'm not supposed to do this. But something inside of you says, eh, that's probably not the right thing to do. And then as you look at the, the prophetic word and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles, you begin to see that there are certain rules and certain things that the Bible makes clear and that the eyewitness accounts make clear are not proper and not right for us to do. And so if you take those things and you look at the lives of a false teacher, they will not add up a lot of the time. And so he says here, look, uh, another attribute of a false teacher is that their lives are not going to reflect the life that you know you should live if you have given yourself to Christ and that the apostles told you to live because they hung out with Jesus and knew what Jesus said and what the Bible has said you should live like. And, and if a person's life does not reflect that life, then we can begin to say, maybe they're not a person that I should follow. Now, this is not Peter's main point, but, but it is a point that we need to pay attention to. It says that, uh, that these false teachers will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Basically, what Peter is saying there is that as people follow these false teachers, and he says many will, uh, they begin to make Christianity look bad. They begin to make Christianity something that people are no longer attracted to. When you look at the life of a Christian who is really living for Jesus... You're attracted to it, right? You want to be around those people because they're giving and they're loving and they're caring and they're nice to you and they're reflecting the life of Jesus. But when you look at a person who claims to be a Christian and yet they don't live any differently than the rest of the world, in fact, sometimes worse than other people in the world, then it doesn't draw you to that person and it definitely doesn't draw an unbelieving world to that person. I think that Peter speaks directly into to the heart of American Christianity right now and why we are not seeing people come into our churches, why we are not seeing people accept Christ as their Savior, because they're looking at the people who claim to be Christians, and a lot of people are following the lies of this world that probably started with some false teacher. They're saying, well, if it feels good, I'll do it. Because God would want me to be happy. And so if it feels good, I'll do it. And so they live a life that is, is sinful. And, and the rest of the world looks and goes, why would I want to be like you? You're no different than me. Or, or they believe this lie that says, man, I can do whatever I want as a Christian because, you know, I, I'm going to be saved forevermore and it doesn't matter how I live my life, not what the Bible teaches. And so this has been introduced into the church. And so, so these people say, well, I'll just, I'll go out and I'll get drunk and no big deal because uh, at the end of the day, I'm still a Christian and I'm going to be saved. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we need to follow Jesus. And people look at this and they go, I can't. Christianity? It's no different than what I'm doing, except you've got to get up early on Sunday morning. And they're not going to be drawn to that. And so Peter says here, hey, if people give in to the false teachings of this world and of false teachers, then what happens is it makes Christianity look bad. 
Another attribute that he gives us in verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. He says that these people are greedy. This is something that Peter's going to come back to. Uh, But this is what Peter wants us to know. A lot of times, false teachers teach because they want something for themselves. It is not for the hearers. It is not for the people listening. It is not for their good. It is for their good. The person who is talking, who is saying whatever it is that they're saying. We've seen this a lot in cults, right? It's probably the, the easiest example for us to look at. You look at cult leaders and, and what they do to people, and they'll often talk to people about giving away all their, their money, uh, selling all their possessions, and, and then you notice where those possessions end up going, right? They end up going to that cult leader. And so they're teaching that, that to be a better person, you must get rid of all the worldly things in life, but they are taking in those worldly things, and it's a pretty clear uh, connection to what Peter has said. People who false teach, who teach things that are incorrect and not accurate and don't line up with the real Christianity oftentimes are doing it for personal gain and for the things that they want. So we go on in, cha- in verse 4. Uh, we're, I'm going to read a longer section here. But, but really what Peter's saying in this section before I read it, and, and maybe it will help you pay attention, is simply that, that these people are going to be punished. And we know that's true because God has always punished the unrighteous. Verse 4, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, sinned but spent, sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for the righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the sovereign Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. You look at this and and Peter is basically saying, look, I'm not making up this idea of these people being punished someday. He's saying forever and ever, since the beginning of the world, God has punished the unrighteous and saved the righteous. And he gives these three examples. He gives the example of the angels. Now, we assume as we read this that that Peter is talking about the prehistoric fall of angels where where they chose to not follow God and Satan went and, and said, I'm not going to follow you. And uh, But that's probably not what Peter is actually talking about. Uh, Peter is probably talking about Genesis 6, uh, 1 through 4, which talks about uh, sons of God marrying uh, daughters of men. And most of the Jewish people that lived during Peter's time saw that as angels marrying human beings. Now, that's a long story that we can talk about another time and and how that all works out, or even if I believe that. But the original readers of the book of Peter would have had this in mind when they read this. That would have been the natural reading. And so God took those people, those those, angels, fallen angels and he punished them and and peter says that that he bound them for eternal destruction and and we know that that currently right now god has not fully punished the angels or or sinful humanity but that will happen when he returns but they are bound and and they're waiting for that destruction he moves to things that are, are are more vivid in our minds because we can read the stories in the old testament and and the first is the the flood the flood is uh, a type of, of 
uh, for what is going to happen in the future. Peter makes that clear uh, in 1 Peter. And there he says, look, just like Noah was saved from the flood, you can be saved through Jesus, but everybody else is not going to be saved. And so in the flood, we see this great picture of, of the return of Jesus, uh, where it's going to happen quickly, and it's going to happen without warning, and it's going to be universal, and, and it's going to be something that people recognize pretty clearly, uh, and that people are going to not be happy about if they have not chosen to give their lives to God and to be the righteous. And he says, look, just like the flood, God will punish again. And then he gives us the, the Sodom and Gomorrah analogy, which is the most vivid picture of destruction in all of the Bible, where God sends down fire and brimstone on the people, and, and he kills them because they are, they are so far away from following him. They are so unrighteous that even when a new man walks into the city, uh, they feel the need to rape him uh, and to have sex with him because he's the new guy simply and for no other reason. And so Peter gives us these three vivid examples, and he's saying this. He's saying, look, forever and ever, God has punished those who are not followers of him. And so these false teachers, as they teach things that are contrary to what God has taught through his word and through the eyewitness testimony and through his spirit that dwells in you, as they teach other things and they go away from Jesus, you can be sure that their punishment will happen. Now, that's pretty... Uh, pretty negative, right? And we think, well, that's sad and all that. But notice in the middle of it, uh, God talks about and Peter talks about how wonderful God is to those who do follow him. He says that God saved Noah and he says that God saved Lot. Even though they were surrounded by ungodly, the unrighteous, he chooses to save the people who follow him. When we come to the New Testament, we know that this concept is still true, right? We know that when Peter writes about these false teachers and those who follow, we know that those people will be destroyed, but the people who give their lives to Jesus and live for Jesus are people who will be saved through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so Peter, in the midst of, of a big big section on punishment and how these people will be destroyed reminds us of the grace and mercy that God always gives to the people who choose to follow him. And I think we need to pay attention and be excited about that. Now, Peter moves on from there and he says, bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters that they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasure while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, in English, this is a lot of words, right? And it's, it's just... A lot of stuff, and you're like, "Wow, Chad read that too fast," and uh, and that just what did he just say right there? What's cool is that is that in Greek, and we won't go into all this in detail. The rhetoric that Peter uses, which comes out in English pretty wordy, uh, is really awesome. He uses alliteration throughout the entire passage that I just read. For example, in 10 through 12, in every one of those verses. 
He uses these three words, blasphemuntes, blasphemon, and blasphemuntes again. And so he has this alliteration thing going, and those words mean something like slander, slanderous, and, and blasphemy. And so he carries this alliteration through that passage. In verse 12, the words for destruction are plethoram, plethora, and plethora santai, and they all mean perish and destroy. And so he does this through the whole passage of Scripture that I just read in all these verses. It's that type of idea where he's trying to connect these words. And so in English, I, I, I don't envy the people that tried to translate this passage of Scripture because you're trying to kind of make this come through, but it doesn't really work out in English because we don't have the same words that mean the same things. And so to try to alliterate a passage of Scripture from one language to another is very difficult. And so when you look at this kind of wordy passage, it's really the translators of the NIV trying to do their best to, to make the meaning and, and the beauty of the passage really kind of come out. Uh, verse 13 is a great example of this. And uh, there uh, Peter says, Atacumenoi, Misthon, Atakies, uh, which means they will be paid back with harm for the harm. You see how they kind of tried to make that type of meaning come out. So I just wanted to uh, share that with you. We, we don't know why Peter did that, but it's really cool. And, and you probably didn't see it uh, as you're reading the English. That He alliterates the whole thing, and I did that with my title in honor of Peter's willingness to do that in this section of Scripture. Uh, but the whole point of the passage, what he's trying to say to us, is that these people deserve the things that are going to come to them. So Peter has just said to us, look... These false prophets are headed for destruction. That's a good reason for you to not follow them. These false teachers are headed nowhere good. God is going to destroy them. And then he says, I might sound like the bad guy, but here's the reasons that these people deserve those things. It's because they are, they are horrible people, basically, and they are going away from Jesus. The first thing he says is that they are bold and arrogant, and they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. So what he's saying there is, look, these people say what they want and they do it in the most cocky manner that they can possibly do it. And they'll even do things that the angels themselves won't do. It says that the angels don't even talk bad about the other angels, even though they are equals. And the humans who are false teachers will say whatever they want about angels. So when you're looking for false teachers, you need to look for an arrogance of speech. You need to look for people who act like they are the end-all, be-all, and who really do not care what God has to say or what others have to say because they know what is right. They have the only truth. They are bigger and stronger and better than everybody else. That's what they think. He says that they blaspheme in things that they don't understand. They say things that are illogical. They are like animals, and they, they will end like animals, he says. They will run around not really understanding what's going on, just spouting things off. I love my dog, and you know that I love my dog, but my dog is not nearly as logical of a being as I am. And so there's things that will never make sense to Roy that, that make sense to me, right? Like, you can't train your dog to look both ways when he walks out in the street, right? And that's, that's one I think about a lot because uh, he does good at not running out there, but I'll never be able to teach him, hey, you need to look left and you need to look right because he doesn't have the same logical brain that I have as a human being. And these false teachers, this is what Peter is saying in a nutshell, don't care about logic. They don't care about saying things that make sense. They only care about saying things that they want to say. And he says that they are just like animals in that regard. And so if you were looking for false teachers, look for things that don't make sense. Look for things that are illogical. Look for things that don't add up. If they say something that doesn't line up with something else that they say, then there's a good chance that they're false teachers. 
An example of this that, that might be clear to this, this early church would be God is the God of the universe. They probably tried to say that to make them sound good. But then they would say, but don't worry about following him. Don't worry about having to live for him. Uh, but sure, he's the God, whatever. But don't worry about living for him. That doesn't make sense, right? If God is the, the most holy being, the greatest being, then we should worry about following him because he is more powerful and he is stronger and he has the ability to punish us. And so one thing that false teachers have in common is that they oftentimes do not say things that are logical. Another thing that he says about them Skipping down in verse 14, and we've already seen this, is that they have eyes full of adultery and they never stop sinning. And so we see that, that these people are, are people who are given to sin. Full of adultery actually literally means full of an adulteress. And so basically what Peter's saying is that they can't help but look at women and think, I want to have sex with them. That is what Peter is saying. Even if that person is married, that is how they begin to think about the world. And when it says that they are trained or, or experts in greed, different translations say one of those two words, it's actually where we get the word gymnasium. And it's a word that just means they've practiced it so much that it has become part of their personality. And so they may not even recognize that they are doing things for greed. It has just become part of who they are. And if you see a person who is all about them and, and can't even recognize that, then you know they are probably... false teachers. And he says this about him, which is pretty comical. He says, they followed the ways of Balaam, son of Bezer. Now, if you know this story, if you go back to the book of Numbers, see the story about a guy who claims to be a prophet. His name is Balaam. And, and the uh, a leader who wants to fight the Israelites, even though this guy is a Jewish prophet, says, hey, we need to get this guy to go and curse the Israelites so that we can win this battle. And so as he's going, he's riding this donkey, and the donkey sees an angel in the middle of the road. And he's riding his donkey, and the donkey's trying to go left and right because this angel's got the sword, and it looks like it's going to kill them. And, and so the donkey says, hey, I, we have to go a different direction right now. We can't, we can't stay here and do this. And, and so Balaam starts to beat his donkey over and over and over again. And, and so finally the donkey is, can talk based on God moving in this person's life. And he says, would you stop beating me? There's an angel that's going to kill you. And so Peter says about these false teachers, just like that guy, a donkey had more sense than him. Now a lot of people look at Balaam and they say, was he good or was he bad? But uh, that's because the story that I just talked about kind of ends neutral. But as you look at other places in the Bible, what you begin to see about him is that he was a bad guy. Uh, first of all, he was going to curse the Israelites, his own people. That's always a bad sign, right? Second of all, uh, he, he, he's responsible for much sexual sin in Israel, his teaching. And you can see that in Numbers 31.16. And then he died uh, fighting Israel in Numbers 31.8. And so what I think Peter wants us to see is that people who are false teachers have bad intentions uh, and they lead people astray 
and ultimately, again, they will be destroyed. Now, I just want to read verse 17 to you. I'm running out of time quickly, but verse 17 is important to what we see here. It says, These people are springs without water and misdriven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Now, we are teaching through this next week and, and this week and the previous three weeks about vision and knowing what knowledge is. And Peter says about these people, if we choose to follow false teachers, that they are springs without water. They, they bring confusion. They make you think one thing is right and, and then they, they do something else or it leads somewhere that you don't think it's going to go. And then they say they are misdriven by a storm. And again, it's this idea of confusion. They lead you to think that, that a storm is coming and then it really doesn't come or, or, or they, they put a, a mist over your eyes so that you can see things less clearly. And, and Peter says blackest darkness is reserved for them, which is absolutely the opposite of having knowledge in our lives and so what i want you to see is this because i'm out of time and i can't finish these people peter makes it very clear are going to be destroyed eternally if you flipped over to chapter three and he says that they are going to be destroyed by fire and what i think peter is saying is this you need to look at the lives of the people who are teaching you and you need to see if it lines up with what your spirit says what the apostles say, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and what the Word of God says. And if it does not, then you need to recognize that where they're headed is a fiery destruction. And you need to allow that fire that someday will come be a light unto your path right now. He says in verse 11, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. As you look at the fire that will come upon these people, you need to allow it to change your life and allow it to help you understand truth. And so as you reflect on what the Word of God says and what your spirit says and what the apostles say, you need to look and say, does it line up? And if the answer is no, then you know these people are headed in the wrong direction. You need to let the fire that someday will engulf them as their punishment light your path. As you try to see knowledge in a dimly lit world, you have to look at the destruction that is going to come upon the world. The Bible makes that clear. And a lot of times in Christianity today, we want to hide our eyes to to that and say, well, I I don't want to think about destruction. I'll think about all the good stuff, but that's for next week. This week, I want you to think about the fiery ordeal that is going to come upon people who do not follow Jesus and choose to go a different way, and let that light your path as you try to have vision in this dimly lit world. That is what Peter is saying to us. He's saying if you follow these false teachers, a mist is over your eyes, and you're never going to see things clearly, and it's going to lead you astray. And he ends it by saying, he ends chapter 2 by basically saying, look, People's salvation is on the line. And there's definitely differences on what that means, right? There's different opinions. Some say, well, that means you can lose your salvation. Others say, well, that means you never had your salvation. And and I'm not going to tell you what I think, uh, but here's what I am going to say. The Bible makes this clear. If you're not a Christian when you die, then then you're not going to heaven. That's it. If you choose to go a different direction, if you, at the end of your life, are not following Jesus then you're not a Christian. doesn't matter if you prayed something when you were really young. If you're not following Jesus at the end, you're not a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that you lost it. I'm not saying that you never had it. I'm simply saying you're not a Christian if you're not following Jesus when the end comes. And he says, look, if you follow these false teachers, you're in danger of that very thing. That's what Peter's telling us. So as we leave here today, let me just be specific with you. There's some things that this world teaches uh, that, that I think shows us this. 
Because he says here, and I didn't get to this, that, that these people teach because of their greed. But he also says that the reason that they talk you into things, us as Christians, is because they say things in an arrogant and boastful way and it sounds like they know what they're talking about. And because it appeals to our sinful flesh. Because we think, man, that would be so easy. And so when you walk out of these doors, there's going to be these temptations in our world today because there's a couple false teachings that just exist all around us. And let me give them to you because you can examine them when you leave because we're out of time in light of what we've seen here. The first is this, uh, that you have your own morality. That whatever you think is right becomes right for you and whatever you think is wrong becomes wrong for you. That teaching exists in our world. And I think when we read this passage of Scripture, we begin to understand why it exists. And we begin to understand that we should probably not follow it. If it doesn't line up with our spirit and it doesn't line up with the Word of God and it doesn't line up with the eyewitness testimonies, then it's not true. And it's, and it's something that's headed towards a fiery destruction. And so I want you to have that one in your head. I, and just from a pastoral perspective, that's not true. The Bible tells us what's right and wrong. You don't. Now, the other one is this. Uh, you need to base your decisions on your feelings. You need to feel good about the things you do. That's also not true. I'm sure that every martyr who has ever died for the sake of Christianity probably didn't feel good as they were being killed for Jesus, but they knew that was the right thing to do, and they chose to do it anyway. And so it's not about your feelings. It's not about your feelings. You'll feel great in heaven someday, but right now it is about following Jesus because Jesus gave his life for you. I'm completely and utterly out of time. I'm sorry to rush that ending, but I encourage you to examine deeper those those two things at least in light of what this scripture says. And, and pre, please pray with me. Father, uh, thank you for this passage of scripture, which uh, kind of is the negative side of, of the positive things that we've been saying, helping us to, to understand, God, um, who we shouldn't follow and what we shouldn't believe, God. I pray, Lord, that we would learn to decipher as, as individuals and as a church, God, what is true and what is not true. And we would really look at the teachings that come into our lives and we would examine them in light of this scripture. God, and we look at people and try to determine if, if it just sounds right because they're arrogant or if it sounds right because it is right. And we would try to determine, God, if it sounds right because it feels good to us or if it sounds right because it is right, Lord. And I pray that we would learn to look at people's lives and the teachings that come out of people and, and to say, man, is your life reflective of a true teacher or of a false teacher? Is, is, the, is their life reflective of Peter, who is willing to die upside down on a cross for the sake of Jesus? Or is it reflective of somebody who just wants to gain something in this world, God? I pray, Lord, that, that this church would even learn to look at, at what I teach in regards to these things, Lord. And if I ever become a person who teaches out of greed or, or selfish desire or lust, God, for, for things of this flesh, then they would learn to not listen to me, Lord. And uh, I also pray, God, that they would learn to, to examine everything that I say in light of your word and the eyewitness testimonies that are far better than mine, uh, and, God, their spirit which leads them and guides them, Father. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us not give in to false teachings, God. We know that people around us are, are giving in all the time, but we pray, God, that we would be firmly established in your truth, as it says in, in verse 2, God, I think, and, and not, God, um, unstable, as it says in this passage of Scripture. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.